welcome to the Longest Day podcast. I'm Leah, your host and the founder of Broadstairs Consulting. We are an advisory and mediation consultancy, bringing clarity, focus, and momentum to organizations by helping leaders find creative solutions that work. We help rebuild relationships and facilitate effective dialogue. We are convinced that people matter and that conversations count, so we started The Longest Day, a series of conversations where we learn from the resilience, determination, and candor of our guests. As they look back on their longest days, our hope is that it will empower you to look forward. We hope their stories will be a part of shaping yours. Today's guest is Elizabeth Oldfield, a people-focused coach, consultant, and facilitator. She is fascinated by how we build lives and organizations reflecting three core values, connection, clarity, and courage. She works with institutions and individuals across the private, public, and third sectors, advising on strategy, communications, team culture, and effective leadership. Elizabeth has hosted The Sacred Podcast since 2017, interviewing over 100 figures in public life about their deepest values and the stories that have shaped them. For 10 years, she was director of Theos, the UK's leading religion and society think tank, where she was repeatedly accredited by best companies as a three-star world-class manager, reflecting her commitment to building and leading flourishing, high-performing teams. She spent the first part of her career working at the BBC in television and radio, contributing to programmes including Beyond Belief and The Moral Maze, as well as Radio 3 and Radio 4 documentaries. Elizabeth is an experienced broadcaster, writer and lecturer on themes related to public ethics, spirituality, wisdom and our common life. She has regularly appeared on all major BBC outlets, written in The Times, The FT, The Economist, Prospect and Unheard, amongst others. She also writes the fantastic Substack called Fully Alive and has a book of the same name coming out in May 2024. She has a master's in theology and the arts and lives in an intentional community in South London. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being willing to come on the Longest Day podcast. It's lovely to be here. Would you like to tell our listeners about your longest day? I would. The day that came to mind when you asked me this question was uh, last summer. And we had, through a series of unfortunate events, ended up being with our family of no fixed address as part of our process of trying to move to live in an intentional community. And uh, I'll maybe say more about that journey in a minute, but the day that came to mind was the day when the house that we'd been trying to buy and had failed to buy and had been a very painful and difficult journey journey suddenly came round and we had a call from our estate agent saying, if you want to, you can exchange tomorrow. But the members of our community were scattered all over the country. We were living in different places at the time. And we had to make this decision on a Zoom call uh, from our different parts of the country. And one of us was on a train (laughs) with no signal. And uh, that, what is our life going to look like? And what is our home going to be? And do we take um, this huge, financially, emotionally risky decision at speed on this day has stayed in my memory as a real turning point. Wow. Why don't you maybe explain a bit more about what your intentional community looks like Mm. and then the different decision makers that were involved? Yes. Well, we are speaking from it. It's lovely to have to host you here. And we sometimes talk about it as a, a micro monastery. And this tells the listeners that the story had a, a happy ending. We are now in situ. Um, but we had been over the course of maybe five years, uh, my husband and I and our kids thinking about living differently, living in more relational ways, um, joining our lives at a deeper level. 
with other people um, for a range of kind of practical and philosophical reasons. And uh, we tried various different avenues for uh, who we might live with and eventually met another couple who were uh, experienced at living community. They lived in community in different um different houses before they got married. And so we'd been on this journey with them of learning about each other, talking about our values, talking about our vision and realising, yes, we wanted not to go join a big eco-village or an existing housing cooperative, but right where we were in London, create a very small and hopefully manageable feeling pilot, really, of... um of living differently, of two families uniting their lives and thereby creating space for hospitality and more capacity and more ability to be generous and hopefully more ecologically aware um, in the city. So that was the vision. And I feel very privileged to know the members of this particular community. Um, But you didn't just launch straight into purchasing this house together. So Mm. how, how did the journey to get here evolve? Yeah. So one of the books we found really helpful used this phrase, which has come back to us a lot, which is um, moving into intentional community with other people is like getting married and setting up a business together at the same time. And again and again, we come back to that. There's these two elements of community, the kind of what I think we wrongly probably think of as the soft stuff, the emotional, interpersonal, um, philosophicals, value-based stuff, which we are not formed for or trained for in our society, right? We're trained to be individual, self-optimizing consumers, essentially, uh, maximizing comfort and convenience. And community does not give you that. So there's a lot of kind of um, learning to do with each other, with the other people that you want to live with in the same way that when you're dating someone, you're trying to work out, is there is there enough of a shared relational foundation here? Do we have conflict resolution skills? Do we know ourselves and each other well enough? And then there's the hard stuff, which is the kind of fact that the society is not set up legally or financially to allow us to live more relationally. We are expected to live as a um, nuclear family unit or with very transient kind of churning housemate situations or as a single person living on their own. And we know the changes in the housing market have shown we are more and more living on our own. And so we had to fight our way through uh, all of those really structural barriers, like it's difficult to rent um, because of the houses of multiple occupation legislation. It's difficult to get a mortgage for more than two people, etc. But right back at the beginning, what we did is we just spent a lot of time together. We basically dated each other. We spent a night a week, um, really intentionally. We we all are Christians, so we prayed together. We visited different communities, but we also talked about our personalities, about our childhoods, about money. Really important to talk about money and to be aware of the emotional resonances around it, how triggering it can be, where that comes from. Find alignment on all of that. We did that for about a year. And then when we hit the summer of 2020 and we had been, we'd been living with my mum and dad to try and keep our head above water because of two full-time jobs and homeschooling. And our friends in the community had been living on their own in a one-bedroom flat with one of them on furlough, going slowly mad. And um, we still didn't know how on earth to make it work, but a friend was living London, leaving London um, as part of the pandemic they said they would rent their house to us for mates rates. And so the first step we took together is we sold our flat, which felt like a big step of faith, stepping off the housing ladder completely for a while. And then we moved into rent together initially as our um, to see if we could get a minimum viable product to see if our hunches would be confirmed. Now, choosing a permanent fixed address is a challenge 
at any point in time. How do you achieve consensus on making that community permanent with disparate stakeholders? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about everything for hours. <laughs> there is no getting away from... Um, there's, there's various different models of community that I keep an eye on, and some of them have tried to kind of strip out that really time and emotion intensive process that accumulates around it in decision making by using Slack channels and using voting. And I think when you're bigger groups of people, that's maybe possible. But for us, we wanted to keep a, dis- a consensus-based decision model not have anyone with more power than anyone else. And there's an even number of us, and so voting wasn't going to be possible anyway. Um, And so, yes, it's a lot of talking, a lot of learning, a lot of a rigorous commitment to honesty, to navigating everyone's different conflict tolerance levels. Um, With renting, we had no choice. We, We couldn't find a house that had the right HMO a certificate, we couldn't afford to rent. And so we didn't have to decide if we would take the house our friend offered. It was literally the only option. When we came to, through a complicated process of navigating through the thickets to finally be in the position of being able to buy, that's when it was really just slow. Because I think a lot of us don't know exactly what kind of home we want, right? Until we see it. And we had very specific requirements. You know, we were praying for enough space to host people in crisis, for a big enough table that we could be constantly feeding a lot of people, which we're now doing, to my delight, and for a space to pray for a chapel, basically, which in London is an impossible thing to be looking for. We didn't quite know how much separate space we wanted for the different households in the community. And then things that are very aesthetic, right? I like old houses. I like old things. Um... Others had different tastes and uh, learning not to put value judgments on those, really hard, because we do basically have hold the positions that we hold because we think we're right <laughs> and everyone else is just slightly misguided. And having those conversations again and again where we'd go see a house and one of us would be like, well, obviously not there. And someone else would be like, I loved it. <laughs> it was just like very, uh, a very efficient way of deepening your intimacy and connection because you're, all of the differences get surfaced in community very rapidly and you either let them push you apart or you stay curious and open and let them move you towards each other. Let's go back to your longest day. How on earth did you end up in a situation where all of a sudden a property came back and you needed to make a decision on whether to move forwards on that that day? Yeah. So, as anyone who has bought or sold property in the UK knows, our system is ridiculous. It is set up to cause that it's unnecessarily adversarial, it's unnecessarily slow moving and complicated and opaque. And um, when you're trying to move from a rental into a purchase and you don't have loads of money to be paying rent and mortgage at the same time, trying to line up the end of your Lease with the beginning of your purchase is like a giant high stakes chess game. And that was really what happened to us. Because we were renting from a friend, I was particularly keen not to mess them around. Um, And because we were buying off someone who was a complicated character, uh, we got right to the point of exchange um, after much foot dragging and were told that they they weren't going to move, they weren't going to sell the day before. Um, 
And we had already given notice on our rental property and had in fact moved out by that point because the exchange had been very delayed. So we were living in my brother's spare room. Our housemates were living um, on people's sofas, essentially. So at, at the point that it fell through, we were already out of our rental house with all of our furniture in storage. And that was a really emotionally fraught period, which of course I know, I knew intellectually not having a fixed address and importantly, not knowing when you would have a fixed address would be stressful. But the psychological unmoredness that I felt, I went to see my spiritual director and I wept on her and I said, I don't know why I'm finding it so hard. It's not like we don't have a roof over our head. You know, we've got people to take us in. We're not in any actual danger. Some people live like this all the time. And she was so, she was so generous because she said, everyone needs some stability. And home is usually the thing that's a given and it's now not a given for you and I think especially as a parent my children found that period really hard because we couldn't tell them when we would have a home again and watching them struggle really just reinforced all my worst fears about the whole project (laughs) all the way through I'd be like we want to live in community we think we need it because we have a housing crisis and an environment crisis and a loneliness crisis and from our perspective it's kind of theologically got a long history but we have children are we making terrible choices for our children are we putting them at risk are we just like gonna put them in years of therapy because we've made a slightly divergent choice from the mainstream and yeah, in that period of frantically looking at other houses to put offers on in the hope that we could blast through the process quickly or thinking, in fact, we might have to give up on this whole thing and part ways as a community it was a very um, disconcerting time. Are you feeling stuck? Has conflict got you down? Have you considered mediation? Mediation is a confidential and flexible way to resolve conflicts. 86% of all mediations end in a solution, saving time, money, and stress for all involved. Thanet Mediation Center, a Broadstairs consulting initiative, offers mediation services to individuals and organizations in Thanet, Kent, and further afield. For more information or advice, email us at info at broadstairsconsulting.com. We are here to help you move forwards. What did you learn about yourself? I have learned so much about myself through this whole thing. Living community is like having a mirror held up to you. And some of that's lovely, but a lot of that's like, oh no, (laughs) I wish I didn't know that about myself. Um, I learned that I'm much more anxious than my previous self-identity had allowed room for. Um... I learned that I really like there to be a plan and I can cope with like multiple plans at once. But if there's no plan, that unsettles me a lot. And I learned that it's really that I had thought I had learned a lot about in in my theological language, about trusting God, about trusting um, that the path would emerge as we walked it. And it was like I had to go another layer down of, okay, I don't I, I don't, and I can't trust that our practical housing problem will work out because that is not what was promised. But I can trust that we will be okay, that there is enough love, that there is enough resilience, 
um, in this community and in the wider communities that we're, that are part of, that even if we've kind of made a terrible mistake and we've got off track, we will find a way through this and we will be okay. Because my body was telling me the opposite. Honestly, I was in such high fight or flight and such high adrenaline and my hopes and my vision and I sensed that what we were trying to do was risky were just really confirming um, my worst fears about the situation. How did you come to a decision that you were all happy with on that mm. Zoom call? Looking back, I still don't know if we did come to a decision that we were all happy with. Our housemates uh, don't have children. And I think the lack of rootedness, and they would say this, was therefore less um, acute for them. They could work flexibly. Um, they had, you know, not, it's not, it wasn't ideal for them not having an address, but there, I think, at least one of them felt like we're not sure that this house is perfect and the process has been so painful and difficult and really challenged our values at different points because of how, I won't go into it, but they felt like maybe this is not the house. Maybe we lost it for a reason. And if we just hold steady, um, we will we will come to the place that we're supposed to be or we'll, we'll, we'll get a house that is better than this house. And I also felt like the journey had really soured my feelings about this home and I didn't feel a strong love for it or a strong sense of like yes that's the place that we're supposed to be I just felt so tired mm. <laughs> and what it came down to was I don't think I have it in me to stay in this level of uncertainty in an open-ended way because I can see what it's doing to my kids and I'm not healthy. And grieving that fact, because I was a bit embarrassed about it, and I wanted to be able to say, yes, let's stay in this in these choppy waves for as long as it takes for the perfect thing to appear. But I, I couldn't. I was like, I, I don't think, I think we'll walk away. Like, I think this is too high cost for us and the kids to not have a home and not know where we'll live next month. We're tethered to their school. We can't just take off. Like, we have to live within this mile radius and we can't afford to. And, yeah. And so I had to be really honest about that. And I worried that I, I had sort of emotionally forced my housemates into a making decision against because we're all financially extremely implicated in this situation. Um, but where we got to on our shared values is that our relationships come before the bricks and mortar. And that ultimately the actual building in which we attempted to live differently was less important than how we were together. And that no building would be perfect. Every house would have challenges. It's just a house. But that we needed someone to somewhere to land at that point in order to be able to hold together. It's one of the great challenges sitting in uncomfortably difficult situations for an indefinite period of time. What advice would you give to somebody who is facing a situation like that right now? Mm. So I think I'd want to speak first to those who aren't and say, put your roots down deep. <laughs> like, I would hate to think how I would have reacted to that situation if it happened three years earlier. I had already done a huge amount of kind of spiritual and psychological work in trying to be someone 
who is resilient, who whose roots go down deep into love, who can weather seasons and storms. And I still don't know how to live that well. Um, but yeah, thinking about how we build our own, I sometimes talk about steadiness of soul or spiritual core strength. Like what does it mean to be someone who is not tossed around by circumstances, but is, you know, not sort of stoically resistant to the emotions, but has a baseline steadiness like that. You can't, you can't build that in crisis. You have to build that, like fix the roof while the sun is shining. Um, and if you're in it at the moment, I think it would be, you're not imagining how hard this is. Like David Rock's scarf model about the deep psychological needs certainty, I think is the one that's least talked about and least understood in what a strong driver it is. How much we would rather be right than happy, actually. How much we would rather be able to predict the future than live with the uncertainty that something good might happen, right? It is so... I, I, I coach clients and that desire for certainty drives so many of our worst decisions, I think. You are not imagining that it's hard, that uncertainty is almost physiologically painful and it is possible to live in it in surrender and in seeking to be held in community and in just a continually coming back to whatever your source is, whatever your source of strength, whatever your source of love, whatever your source of human value is. And I think by the intellectual thing of going, no one, certainty is an illusion anyway. You know, the fact that we know where we're going to live in a year is not as certain as we think. The fact that we feel healthy or solvent or whatever we are all more vulnerable and more fragile. Everything is more contingent than we think it is. And so kind of slowly just letting ourselves adjust to that. There is very little certainty. What does it mean to steady myself today? What does wisdom look like today? And just stop grabbing after the certainty because it's a fool's errand, she says, preaching to her own soul. <laughs> yes, I need to hear that as much as the next person. How has trusting yourselves and each other in building this intentional community exceeded your expectations? It's just absolute joy, Leah. It really, it really, we've been here a year now and we knew from when we rented together that there is something special that happens when you covenant with other people at a deep level, when you sort of remove all that, that like individualized free choice on a lot of things and just say, as for me and my house, you know, as for this, as for these key choices, I'm going to make them with you. I'm going to make, I'm going to walk with you and you are going to walk with me. And the safety, not certainty, but safety that I feel in this household because I am fully known and fully loved and fully challenged. <laughs> You know, anyone who's ever been in a really healthy romantic relationship actually will know that feeling of there's someone to call you on your BS and not let you just be your worst self, but it's not out of shame or blame. It's out of an invitation into who you could be. And we offer that to each other and we cheer for each other and we have more capacity for people outside the household. And I feel, <laughs> I sometimes talk about like, um, secure attachment privilege. I feel I have secure attachment privilege, but I also think I now have living in community privilege that I I could easily take for granted how stabilizing and liberating it is to be here and to be living this way. Even though it's sometimes really annoying and really hard, <laughs> it is just deeply good. One of the things 
that is fantastic about this house is the kitchen. And so I have to ask you, if you had to live your longest day again, what food would you choose to fuel it? Oh, that's a nice question. I think, so the, we do these dinners um, every other Monday, which are kind of open table dinners for a really wide range of people. Um, and my husband and I take turns cooking. And what we will often cook is a kind of giant smorgasbord of um, like hearty and delicious Middle Eastern Otolengi-inspired food. And that sense of like, this is doing me good and it is delicious because it has a million different flavours and I'm sharing it with other people. That's my happy place food-wise. I can vouch for the <laughs> calibre and quality of the offering. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you for sharing so liberally, um, vulnerably, carefully, openly um, about your experiences of challenge in pursuing this intentional community. And thank you for coming on The Longest Day. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next installment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023. Production copyright. Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved. <laughs>